My name is uh, Dan Albrick. I am uh, the program's co-chair along with Jeanette Outlaw. Thank you for all coming indoors on this uh, beautiful day out here in Chicago. I think it's the what second nicest day that we've had this year. But thank you all for coming to, uh, to our program here. Um, quick question, what do MTV, Trader Joe's, and iPod all have in common? Trader Joe's, MTV, and the iPod have in common. <clears throat> all three are great brands. They were all born during recessions. So that takes us to our topic for next month, which is recession breeds innovation. And we've got uh, a couple of speakers lined up real quick. We've got um, Jim Malakowski. He's president and CEO of Ocean Tomo. Uh, he is also holds 10 patents, and he's uh, on the chair of InventNow. Phil Udegaard, with, he's executive vice president with Transwestern. And as of about, oh, an hour ago, right before I was coming here, Barb Rixey helped, uh, from OWP helped lock in our third speaker, Tom Statt, with IDEO. So that's our program. And just to note, it is Wednesday, May 13th. It will be uh, on a Wednesday next month. Uh, I'm going to turn it over to Margie, who's going to talk about some other programs that we have uh, coming up uh, in the evening here in May. Hi. Hi, everyone. I'm Margie Sweeney. I'm with, with Bliss Public Relations. And uh, I was recently chapter secretary until about two weeks ago. Um, but now I'm doing things that are much more fun. Um, uh, we are planning two evenings of social media for corporate real estate in May. And uh, this should be um, the, probably the first that you're hearing about this, but you'll soon hear a lot more about it. Um, on May 5th and May 19th in the evening, we're going to have hands-on workshops that will cover not only social media, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, but also how that operates in the corporate real estate space. Um, I know that uh, of all the people that I've talked to and that I have uh, followed on Twitter and that I connect with on LinkedIn, um, it's a challenge we're all facing. How do we relate this to this very conservative traditional business? So um, we are pulling together a panel of experts, um, including my own firm, Aztec Consulting, and uh, as well as people in the industry sort of on the ground doing this on a transactional and corporate basis. So mark your calendars, May 5th, May 19th. Um, it's at WorkSpring, and thank you to Steelcase, our sponsor, who arranged for the space for us. Um, the other event that I want to tell you about is in July. Um, the Economic Development Committee has been very active and has made a connection with the Illinois Development Council. Um, Cornette has actually been working together with them for a few years. We've had speakers on some of their panels before. The Illinois Development Council is a state-level economic development organization, and um, we are going to co uh, we're going to put on an event together. So it's not co-sponsoring, but it's actually we're putting it on with both organizations. Um, and that date, um, if everyone has their Blackberries out, is Wednesday, July 15th. So um, if you want to look at that, the event will be in Lyle in the evening, and there will be speakers from both Cornet and IDC. Uh, Chris Mannheim, you look like you have something to add to that. <laughs> okay, wonderful. So we hope to see you all on May 5th, May 19th, and June, uh, excuse me, July 15th. Thank you. And for the luncheon, Wednesday, May 13th. <laughs> A lot of activity coming up here. So that takes us today. Thank you, Margie. I think we're all good. Today's program, interesting story as we were putting this together. Uh, back in November, December, I'd seen a program uh, from a speaker, uh, um, Phil Schneider with Deloitte, uh, Deloitte Intuition, he had a nice presentation about global expansion and optimization. 
and uh, we had uh, talked to him about coming up and doing that presentation to the Cornet uh, group at large. Uh, as we were trying to put, pin down some dates, it turned out he wasn't, uh, and as we were trying to start then soliciting some other people to, to join in on the panel, we connected with uh, Bob Hess um, with uh, NKF Consulting, part of Newmark, and it turns out that he knew Phil, and then as we were talking with Bob, uh, he recommended Tom, who Tom also know, knew Phil from their Deloitte days as well. And then um, we had gotten talked to Margie. Margie had helped us get Eric. Eric then knew Tom. So it was just a vicious circle, a vicious cycle, how this thing all came together. But we are pleased to have them all up here today for our presentation on what's the attraction, the rules have changed for business location strategies. Now I'm going to announce our speakers. First off, Bob Hess, uh, principal, managing principal with NKF Consulting. With over 22 years of professional services experience, Bob Hess is a highly regarded as an expert in the field of supply chain strategies, global location strategies, and corporate site selection. Mr. Hess has successfully completed over 200 significant projects for Fortune 1000 and middle market companies, primarily in the manufacturing and distribution sectors. Prior to Prior to joining NKF Consulting, Mr. Hess was a leading partner in Cushman & Wakefield's Global Business Consulting Group based in Chicago and the founder of the firm's Global Supply Chain uh, Solutions Industrial Consulting Practice and a lead partner with Deloitte & Touche, uh, 18 years in their Fantis Location Strategy service line. Eric Hochstein, consultant with the Ontario Ministry of International Trade and Investment, uh, advises Ontario Ministry of International Trade Investment on business attraction strategies and tactics, tactics in the United States. He has worked with companies seeking location for new facilities, for contact centers, shared services centers, outsourcing operations, and other business processes. In his role, he promotes Ontario to corporations considering new facilities and advises them on locational analysis and on government programs and other benefits available in Ontario. And last but not least, Tom Bartkowski, Director of International Business Development for the World Business Chicago. He is responsible for attraction of foreign direct investment, general business development, and international marketing. He assists foreign-based firms, location evaluation, and site selection, and works closely with the foreign-based business community in Chicago and the local consular and foreign economic development communities. Bartkowski introduces the area community and business environment to foreign business and public-private delegation. He has two decades of private public, and not-for-profit sector experience in the economic development field. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome our panelists and speakers today. I'm going to turn it over to them. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming today, and I'm competing with cheesecake, so I don't like that situation. <laughs> But uh, I didn't eat any, make sure I don't fall asleep up here. But thanks for coming today. What a great crowd. And uh, this is, this is uh, very refreshing, especially in today's economic climate, to see all this, this uh, discussion and camaraderie. And that's really what we need. So we're really happy to be here today to talk about a topic around business location. Uh, you would think that that topic would be under siege. Uh, right now it is. But you'd be surprised at what's going out there, uh, what's happening in the economy. And we're here to talk about different means, different methods. And much of our discussion today is going to be focused on the public-private partnership side of that. Um, there's probably a few economic developers in the audience. Uh, can, can folks raise their hands out there that are involved with economic development, job creation type work? Fantastic. So a lot of the discussion today will be, will be focused around that. But hopefully this will be meaningful in terms of just understanding what business is thinking today, what's on the top of mind executives relative to expansions, relocation, consolidations, 
We're going to talk about the federal stimulus package a little bit. And we're going to use, uh, use a discussion environment up here today to just go through a lot of details and tools. We want to give you some takeaways in terms of you know, leaving here today and, and how you can participate and in, in hopefully the activity that's going to be happening in the months and years to come. So again, thank you uh, uh, for the opportunity to speak today. I thought I'd start off the session with a, a little framework. So what is going on relative to business location strategies? What is the attraction? What's happening out there? And my background is roughly 25 years of helping corporations figure out where they should be and why. And that could mean roughly two to 300,000 miles in the air every year. I only did 100,000 miles in the air last year, so now I'm an economic indicator for how the business has gone down, okay? I've always been an indicator, so, but I, I'm still on airplanes, and I'm proud to say there's a lot, there is decent activity out there, and let's talk about that a little bit. Next slide. So what is the situation out there? Yes, limited projects, and any person in my business who says they're super busy is a liar. Okay? Um, it is tough out there. You know, new capital investment, the whole situation on financing, there are limited projects. But the interest is picking up in not so usual economic sectors. So who out here is in healthcare? What about education, retraining the workforce? What about the real estate around education, the DeVries of the world and things of that sort? Um, what about, uh, of course, solar and wind? Food companies? Uh, life sciences, medical device firms. I just got back from Costa Rica where there was 35 companies in the United States looking at medical device strategies on the global side. So there are sectors out there and we see some activity. It's tough, but it's, we see some, some pickup in that side and we're basically, I think, in our business, a good indicator of what's going on. There is a focus on a lot of cost reduction and rationalization, of course. This is no, no uh, big uh, issue, but also the whole, uh, especially the monetization and actually taking processes that people maybe do 10 processes in their organization, and they say, we really only need to do five of those. So there's a lot of uh, focus on doing things, fewer things better, and actually eliminating things that aren't you know, going to be core, market-dominant type processes. We think there's a lot of pent-up demand to think strategic and long-term, right? Does everybody agree with that? Let's get going. Froze. What are we going to do? Pent-up demand. We feel it. But where's the systemic recognition of that on the P&L, right? You want to do something and all of a sudden you get the phone call like, wait a second, we got to look at the P&L, what are we going to do about headcount? It's always that, 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 that trade-off right now and, and that's what we're fighting through, especially on the uncertain demand side and forecasting side. But that's the reality. And a lot of these decisions and location, what's changing is uh, we had a lot of gut feel decision making going on in the roaring 90s and the early 2000s, right? A lot of gut feel. There's no more gut feel decisions. They want very, very robust detailed decision support on any type of capital expansion, any type of investment, any type of business mobility decision. So that gets back into the tools and the business intelligence. And what kind of data can you rely on? What are you all using in terms of forecasting these days? What do you use? 2004 data? 2006 data? What are you using to forecast? That's the issue. So there's a lot of focus on ground truth and being out there and working with people and shared risk and reward, and we'll talk about that. People are still leveraging economic geography and business mobility solutions. There's issues of backshoring. There's things coming back from China to Mexico. Uh, there are, you know, the whole issue of uh, BRIC is Brazil, Russia, India, and China. We should have a quiz on that. That's becoming more risky. And clustering. There's still activities uh, in these areas, especially on the SG&A side. SG&A meaning back office, shared service centers, 
Those are cost reduction initiatives, but those asset types are mobile. They need workplace strategies. They're looking at leveraging geography to reduce costs, and they're still seeking talent. And those are some of the projects that, that we've been working on at Newmark Knight Frank. Last couple items, readiness, block and tackling. Are you ready for when things get better? And how are you innovating? What type of investments and tools? Are you investing in your best people right now? This is not a time to take your top people and move them aside to different things. You need to invest in your best people because you're, you're going to protect your business processes, your core services, and where you need to be. And lastly, um, incentives, back in play big time. The third civil war, as I call it. This is an Alabama lookout because Ohio and Wisconsin's coming after you. Uh, there's a very, very aggressive approaches out there in the Midwestern states about playing in this game for a very precious investment, fewer and fewer projects. As long as it's targeted and there's demonstrative uh, return on investment, and you've all been reading the newspapers about these trends on ROI, especially if there's going to be federal dollars involved. So those are some of the, uh, some of the activities that we see in the business uh, uh, mobility sector. Next slide. A couple other factors, and we'll get into the panel. Um, keep in mind, right now this is a great time for leadership. Get over it. We've got to start thinking. We've got to start moving forward. We've got to be working together. This is a great time for leaders to step up and really think, make things happen, especially for these investments, whether they're small and medium uh, enterprises or larger investments. Leadership is key right now to take the risk. Flexibility and agility, we talked about that. Investment in top talent, very, very important factor. I want to talk about whatever you do well, do it better than ever, because if you screw up now in this economy, you're going to lose. You're not going to survive. What, so what do you do really well? What's your core? Where do you want to play and do it well? Because the word will get around and you'll have business. And I think you all are aware of that, and that's probably what you all practice, I hope. That's probably why we're all here today. And this visibility, being where others are not, in terms of targeting and spending your time in places that other people are not. And that's what we're trying to do in the business mobility sector and the business attraction sector. So that kind of introduces things, kind of sets the stage, and that will bring up the next slide, which is our topics for today. And we've got four topics. There's a focus on the economic developer as a valued partner. Absolutely. Think about all the retention strategies that we need in place to retain jobs, retain industries, retain clusters, and make sure economic activity is focused where it needs to be focused. And then we get through these tough times. There's never been a more, more important time for the economic developer to be as creative and consultative as possible. And that gets to all of you, too, whether you're in private business or small business or in the service side of the business. You've got to be innovative and focused on it as a valued partner. The federal stimulus package, we'll talk about that, too. I won't profess to say we've read, like the Republican senator said, here, read this, slam it down on the table. But uh, there's a lot of uh, things in there, I think, that are important in terms of infrastructure, in terms of this business. Uh, the various grant programs, there's 30% grant programs for solar and wind, 30% of CapEx. Those are pretty aggressive programs. And we'll talk about some other things. Regionalization, public-private partnerships. Again, we'll get into that. And then, of course, what are the new drivers? So um, we're going to try to get through this discussion up here, go through some of these topics, and we're going to have Q&A for 15 or 20 minutes, and we look forward to having a constructive dialogue. Okay? Great. So my distinguished colleagues, and uh, we do know each other, appreciate you being here. And uh, Tom, why don't you tell us a little bit about World Business Chicago and how that plays into some of a lot of the topics that uh, we're going to be talking about today. Well, thanks, Bob. Um, Bob covered quite a bit up here. Uh, World Business Chicago, just so you know, is a public-private partnership. We're a 501c3 organization that was started uh, almost 10 years ago. 
Uh, it is uh, public-private in the sense that the uh, city of Chicago funds the, the public side. Uh, the uh, board of directors uh, of our organization, we have about two dozen companies, they fund the private side. They also provide some uh, pro bono assistance. A lot of our marketing work, for example, is local pro bono. And uh, we have a group of uh, just over a dozen uh, staff people. We uh, also have, um, as the chair of our board, uh, Mayor Daly. So he takes an interest in how we're doing. Our area of uh, responsibility is not just the city of Chicago, but we maintain a lot of data on the Chicago metro area which is the entire federally uh, designated area of 14 counties. So uh, we're basically a, a good starting point for people looking at metro information about what's going on here uh, in uh, Chicago, in the metro area for business and economic uh, statistics and so on. We, uh, and in fact, a lot of people uh, like Bob, a lot of consultants uh, do come to us all the time uh, with queries and, and questions. Um, in terms of some of the, the issues here, uh, yes, it obviously uh, there's, a, there's a high demand out there, and people in economic development know this. Uh, people who are coming in, whether they're consultants, whether they're companies coming in directly, uh, whether they're people just with idle inquiries, um, they're really coming in and looking for solid assistance, they're looking for solid information, they're looking for uh, a quick response, it's kind of a cliche, but they are, they're looking for someone who's going to respond to what they're looking for, but then go beyond that and suggest uh, other either information or contacts um, that might help them round out their perspectives in the work that they're doing in terms of the, the uh, site analysis work uh, that's going on. Um, I deal with a lot of companies that are foreign, and so I'm dealing with an extra layer of uh, uncertainty, if you will, because not only are they these companies looking at the same issues American companies are in terms of where am I going to be most profitable, where am I going to be comfortable, uh, in the North American market, but they also have some uncertainty about our legal system, um, the tax system, a few other things, and so I have to kind of go out of my way to make them comfortable with that, make them understand that, provide them the information that they need, and even suggest things that they may not be asking. So instead of being simply reactive, it's also important to be a little proactive out there in terms of thinking ahead and putting yourself in the prospect's shoes or the consultant's shoes and saying, okay, what else uh, is, do I have? that can be useful for them uh, to, again, move that ball forward, uh, avoid elimination from uh, the site selection process, and make people comfortable with what you're doing. And, and with that, I've probably talked long enough, so I'll... Well, I'd like to ask Eric to talk about what he sees up in uh, our sister country up sure. there north. And sure. Thanks, uh, Bob. And thank you, uh, Cornette, for having us. Uh, really pleased to be here. Um, First question I think I want to address is why is Ontario uh, attracting business in the United States? And uh, the, the, the simple answer is that uh, the United States is Ontario's largest, is Canada's largest trading partner, and uh, is, uh, Canada is really the United States' largest trading partner. So, uh, you know, we have to realize the, the interrelationship between uh, the country of Canada and the country of the United States. So that's, that, that's key. But the bigger picture, and maybe I could have that first slide, please, uh, for, from my package. It, the bigger picture is what does global foreign direct investment mean, and why is, why is that important? And uh, you can see that in 1970, uh, global investment, all flows of global investment, uh, accounted for about 1% of GDP worldwide. And that has risen... In, uh, in, in 37 years to 7.3%, to almost a trillion dollars of global investment. And um, 
that that that's key because investment to new country to, to uh, a country is new jobs, uh, new economy, new economics. Uh, and we can go to the next slide. Um, really, what it means is is uh, higher incomes for the people in the in the countries, uh, better business conditions. The better business conditions uh, breed a better economy and a better standard of living for people. So we're creating jobs, we're creating uh, exports and innovation, and, uh, and and really building economics on the basis of far, of, of building economies on the basis of foreign investment. And I just want to, uh, if we go to the next, uh, click once, please. Uh, one billion dollars of new investments is 8,200 jobs uh, in, in Ontario, uh, 62 million dollars of taxes, and 75 percent of all manufactured exports uh, are directly attributable to foreign investment in, in Ontario. So you can see the importance of foreign investment to us. So we have five people in the United States who are doing what I do, which is working with businesses here to um, to, to understand opportunities in the province of Ontario, in Canada in general, but specifically in Ontario. And we talk about uh, the benefits of doing business in Ontario, uh, that we talk about doing business in Canada and the market of Canada. So we're not just trying to take jobs from here uh, to, to, to a lower cost region, but we're trying to let people know that the Canadian economy is vibrant, strong, and, and, and growing. Uh, and is a great place for companies to do business. So we're looking for both new businesses who are looking for new markets, as well as companies that are looking for a place to serve their existing business, uh, perhaps in those back office operations. And, and we well, can go from there. Well, Eric, I, I was going to tell you, hands off our jobs, okay? <laughs> I, uh, All right. Um, but anyway, we'll get to that in a second. Sure. So I, I think what's common to all three of these folks uh, here is the, uh, we want to get to the issue around the economic developer. So it's the public sector. We've been hearing a lot about the public sector, right? And the federal stimulus package and how it's supposed to create jobs. Well, that's been around since 1910. The whole issue of economic development and economic developers and the public sector being involved in private sector development. And I want to talk a little bit about that. There's never been a more important time for this skill set relative to retention strategies and innovation in the marketplace. I spent four months, when I started at Newmark Knight Frank roughly about eight months ago, my first four months were spent in Wisconsin working with Janesville and the city of Kenosha trying to save advanced manufacturing. And the question is, is what's the business case? What's the hook? Why should anything stay anywhere these days, right? And who's actually facilitating that connection, that alignment of stakeholders, whether it's the medical community, it's the workforce, it's the public sector, it's the mayors, it's a private corporation. I was very surprised to find out that half of these communities had never even talked to the senior management of these companies until they had to, until they get a Warren Act notice. So uh, it happens. That, that cannot happen anymore. So this whole issue is economic development as a valued partner. It's critical right now. And uh, you know, I, I'd like to, you know, Tom maybe to talk a little bit about that. What do you see relative on the city side here and the regional side? Uh, we've, got, we've got Lake County. We've got DuPage County. We got it war we're warring against Wisp Park up in Wisconsin, but how does that all come together? How should we be working together to create jobs and, and we can't be uh, having that kind of competitive nature anymore? Yeah. I mean, a, a regional approach really, and, and as Bob knows, the, uh, being a, Fantas, a member of the uh, Fantas diaspora as I am, um, really regional cooperation uh, always is a, a, a great thing if you can work it out. I mean, uh, it, local fratricidal uh, 
fighting between different jurisdictions uh, can really be poison when you're dealing with uh, site selection issues. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, just for one example, a uh, couple, of, couple of things. One is with our organization, uh, even though we are funded on the public side by the city and Mayor Daly is our chair, um, we're, we put out information, our main presentation, all of our material, you go to our website, is on the metro area. Um, so we don't just focus on the city of Chicago, but we put it out there for the whole metro. And we do get people coming in, we do get projects that do wind up going you know, to various uh, suburban counties on occasion. And yeah, it's great to have stuff in the city when we can, uh, makes the mayor very happy. Um, Miller Coors, all that, that's wonderful, uh, which we've worked on. But, uh, but on the other hand, on occasion you're gonna get somebody that says, hey, I wanna be in Lake County because I'm in life sciences or I, I'm, I'm a big customer of, of Abbott. Um, and that obviously makes sense for them. And so when they come to us and they're starting out, we're getting them off to a good start. There's actually a regional uh, talking shop, for example, uh, called MEGA, which uh, is um, a uh, regular meeting of uh, the local counties here, uh, including World Business Chicago and including ComEd. Uh, ComEd had a lot to do with putting that together, um, constituting that. And for example, at a recent meeting, there was a discussion about, for the very first time, the Chicago metro area applying for economic development and administration money uh, because that's never been available to the Chicago area in the past. And just recently, that's become available, but you have to put together a regional application and so on. So there was some discussion about that. That's a benefit for the whole area. Also coordinating on, on projects is uh, a higher good, we think. And uh, in fact, we, uh, we, were, we were proud of the fact that we were able to, to go in and establish a regional perspective on our data. But then beyond that, to be able to work with and talk to the other people in the area. And we've had, we've had visits up and talking to the folks in Wisconsin, up in Milwaukee 7, um, or around the area here about how people do things. So we, we do want to have that dialogue uh, around and, and, and to try to look at things in a regional perspective. And in fact, a lot of our efforts, like we have some things going on with the Chinese, which really are Midwest-wide. So it's no longer parochial. Uh, if, you, if you can manage it, if you can get through those political hurdles, um, it's, it's really the better way to go, is to, is to try to look at things broadly. You know, one comment I want to make, and I'm going to ask Eric to get to this too, is you ever noticed uh, that uh, it's, like, it's like healthcare, uh, preventative medicine versus when something bad happens, then you, then you go to the doctor, right? Well, this whole issue of businesses closing, displacement, uh, consolidation, rationalization, what's changing now is it's really time to be looking at preventative issues. So what are you actually doing to invest in these companies uh, and, and work the public-private partnership before the bad news happens, right? Most of the incentive programs and most of the funding programs from the federal side, they're available when? When something bad happens. Then there's all kinds of money and financing and low-interest loans and workforce. So one of the trends that we're seeing out there is actually preventative programs being developed by states and regions. Uh, the state of Mississippi actually has developed a $50 million fund where they'll actually go in there and provide bridge loans at 3% or less to help uh, companies with certain uh, you know, innovation programs or initiatives where they couldn't get financing uh, otherwise. I mean, of course, and financing is a big uh, issue on the private sector side. So now, is that a tough thing? Is that actually too much public intervention in uh, the, you know, job creation? I mean, that's a debatable issue, but that's very creative and innovative in terms of what some of these states are doing to be a valued partner and, and pr promote this whole issue of retention and, and working with industries. And I, I don't think, know, I think yeah. that's the key is, yeah. is the partnership and the relationship. 
uh, the proactive nature of things. And I think what we're seeing in in the global environment, and what we're certainly experiencing in in Ontario, is a a transition of this, uh, the, the, the business model from being transactional in nature to much more consultative and partner-oriented in nature. And so we're working with companies, as Bob was suggesting there, uh, more in advance of, a, of an action rather than after the fact. Uh, and, and, and that goes for both retention as well as in the attraction. Uh, in the attraction area, I think uh, the, the jurisdictions, whether it's uh, in Canada or the United States, are all becoming more aggressive, and that means uh, starting with incentive packages of different types, whether it's tax holidays or cash grants or, or, or other kinds of uh, funding. Uh, but it is working with the client to identify what that project means, uh, what, 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 what it could mean ahead of time so that you understand the bigger picture and then can be able to devote the resources that are necessary uh, to attract it. Uh, in, in, a, in, in a much more consultative nature. But you also talked about the partnership internally uh, between the, the, the inside the regions and inside, in this case, the province. And I'll, I'll just give you an example of Toronto, just as uh, very similar to Chicago. But in Toronto, the city of Toronto has its own economic development department. They partner with the Greater Toronto Marketing Alliance, which includes the, uh, the regions surrounding, the collar areas surrounding uh, the city. The, the GTMA is in turn a part of what we've called the Ontario Technology Corridor, which markets Ontario's technology capabilities with the, with the areas of Ottawa, Toronto, Waterloo, London, and the Niagara Peninsula, so that they're able to put their money together and their message together to attract people first to Ontario and then say, we're all going to benefit from the growth of this industry, whether it's in Waterloo or in, in Ottawa. And I think those kinds of partnerships are growing. And the Ministry of Economic Development, or in this case, the Ministry of International Trade now, we've recently changed the name. We've actually split the ministry into economic development and international trade to allow a greater focus on international trade. So that uh, the Minister of International Trade, Sandra Pupatello, is now able to do much more international outreach because she's not looking after business retention to the same extent uh, that a new minister has, has come in and, and picked that up. So that's one of the, uh, one of the, re- one of the impacts of uh, th- this changing environment. I, I want to make you aware of a best practice out there, Kenosha, Wisconsin. I know this because we're working up there on some things. They have a revolving loan front, and I don't, we've been talking about big corporations. What about you folks, small and medium enterprises? What about new startups? What about innovation, entrepreneurship? Uh, so certainly that's going to be very, very important moving forward. They actually have a revolving loan front where they can get uh, one or two percent money to small firms that want to expand by an acre or add a new line or somebody who had a great idea in that area. But that's all done regionally. That wasn't reaching out to the federal side. It wasn't even reaching out to the state of Wisconsin. So there are those capabilities, but the city and the county and actually the unions and the developers all had to get together in a committee to create that type of synergy and energy, those vehicles and those, those mechanisms to create jobs for small and medium enterprises. So that, that's a difficult thing. And, and, you know, what's, what's the block to, happening, to ha- making those things, things, types, type of things happen? Politics, right? Political boundaries, uh, my turf, uh, sharing of intellectual capital, all those types of things. I mean, our, you know, some of, one of the things we want to talk about is how those barriers need to come down. 
uh, because right now that's what's required, shared risk and reward. And that's back to this whole issue of sustainability and public-private partnerships, you know, really, really working together. So, uh, you know, and I think, Tom, one big example of public-private partnership is the Olympics. I think everybody here would be interested in hearing about what's going on with the Olympics in the city of Chicago. Where, what do you see at World Business Chicago? And what, do you, what are some of the unique things you're seeing happening there relative to financing that and making it happen in a reality? Well, as most of you, like I have, in reading about uh, the, the ongoing saga on the Olympics, uh, you know, Chicago has actually a very interesting concept going on because uh, Chicago as a city is faced, as many of you know, with a situation in which, unlike virtually any other country that competes for the Olympics, the national government will not put any money into the Olympic bid directly. Uh, they may put bid into infrastructure, they may put bid in, it, money into other things, which is very, very uh, good for Chicago, but they're not going to fund the bid itself, the, the, the stadium or, or any other infrastructure directly for the Olympics. So that means that the 2016 committee and the 2016 organization that's, that's working um, to work with the IOC to, gain, to try to gain the Olympics, hopefully, uh, this fall, this October in Copenhagen when they have the vote. Hopefully, um, the, uh, the idea is to work through the private sector, work through private contributions and, and private corporate uh, support, which is unparalleled in the United States. That is one advantage the U.S. has. Our market, our TV market, head and shoulders above anybody else in the world. Um, that power basically allows the Chicago uh, 2016 organization to put together a plan where the funding can come basically from the private side. You don't have to go to the public sector for major funding. They then, of course, have set up some insurance funds to cover uh, costs if it does cost more than they think. And then on top of that, you've got a very compact plan. Um, this is kind of an anti-Beijing, not anti-Beijing in terms of opposing, but sort of a uh, reverse Beijing sort of thing. Beijing's Olympics were a coming out party for the country. They've, they're sitting on billions of dollars. They said, hey, we're going to put on a big show. We're going to spend billions on incredible architecture, hire these incredibly expensive foreign architects, build these unbelievable things uh, over a period of years, um, wipe out entire neighborhoods and replace them, and you know, just in unbelievable stuff, um, which you can do in China. Uh, they're just like, you know. <laughs> Yeah, you guys, you guys in this, this area, you're out of here. The People's Armed Police come in, and, and that's that. Um, doesn't really work that way here. But on the other hand, uh, they, they had a, you know, like Tokyo in 64, they, it was really a coming out party for them, spending many, many billions. For Chicago, the idea, and this goes back to sustainability, too, the whole green idea, the whole idea of a sustainable uh, Olympics, is to do it uh, basically with existing resources. One of the reasons Chicago originally um, got intrigued by the 2016 idea was that someone had done a study and showed that most of the Olympic venues were already present uh, in and around the Chicago region. And again, the region. We're not talking about just the city of Chicago. We're talking as you know, far away as Madison, uh, up in, in some venues in Lake County, some other places. Uh, it turned out that much of that was already here. So it's possible to do an Olympic effort without breaking the bank, without spending you know, the, the unbelievable amount of money that, that uh, Beijing did, or even the large amount of money that London is doing. London's taking some, some of the same approach. In relation to that, following up on London, London is already now, they've got 2012, and they're already now starting to send people out and do outreach to business communities around the globe using 2012 Olympics as a starting point, both for telling people that there are opportunities to, to bid on services and whatnot for the Olympics, but also to market London. And actually, if we were to get the 2016 Olympics, that's one of the things that we're looking to do. In fact, we talked to the London people about that, what they're doing. Um, because 
there's a strong interest here in that kind of a follow-up, using that springboard, if we do get the Olympic bid for 2016, to go global uh, and with that recognition. So um, we'll, we'll have to see how it goes. The IOC is a very inscrutable body, very hard to tell what they're going to do. Um, there's a lot of lot pinned, I know, on, on President Obama showing up to support the Chicago bid, which he has said he will do if at all possible. Um, and so that's uh, you know, clearly um, concerns our uh, opposition in, uh, or our competitors, I should say, in Madrid, Tokyo, and Rio de Janeiro. So we'll have to see what happens in October, but it'll well, be exciting. There's an example of something that could not work if you didn't have an alignment of stakeholders that probably don't even want to work with each other. But right now we need to, to get things over the goal line. We need good news. We need to get it over the goal line. That's actually what's happened up in, the, up in Ontario recently, where I worked on a project where the city of Ontario has not provided any incentives, one penny, for over 20 years. They call it bonusing. So what's happening now? It's a much more competitive marketplace. So I spent a month up there testing, testifying in front of the city council, and they just passed a very, very aggressive incentive program. Cash grants, uh, R&D tax credits, various things that get into brownfield, greenfield, different types of uh, opportunities. Again, it's not, they're not giving away anything. It gets involved in like a TIF type of uh, mechanism. And it's something that puts them back on the map because they're competing for life science things and more projects globally. So again, I mean, that's what you're seeing on the Ontario side is, again, new types of innovation, new techniques and tools. Yeah, and and we the, need and to the interesting thing that. is that that's coming from the city, yeah. uh, the, 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 the city-oriented programs. The province has also taken a, a new tack opening up new incentives. We have a program called the Next Generation of Jobs Fund, a billion, fifteen hundred million uh, available for grants to companies, which three years ago, two years ago, would never have happened in the province of Ontario, which again had a prohibition against cash incentives. So they've recognized the need to be more competitive within the North American marketplace, within the, 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 the hemisphere, really, and opened up a whole new way of, uh, of doing business attraction uh, that, that, that includes grants. Right. Now, relative to stimulus, and I'll call it interjecting, getting it over the goal line, great projects, great initiatives, we got the federal stimulus package. And uh, I'd like to ask first the audience, has anybody, everybody read the federal stimulus package? <laughs> Okay, I mean, anyway. Uh, I have the uh, three-page three cheat sheet, 10 minutes over the, right here, but um, everybody's wondering, how's that going to impact me? How's that going to impact you? How's that going to jumpstart us into job creation and get us into these uh, situations where we can have good news, all right? Um, and uh, I think there's three key things. One is shovel-ready sites. You've heard about those programs. So I think, for, again, from the economic development side, how do I get that money? Where's the money and how do I get it? All the states right now are preparing for that. They're actually hiring intake people. Now, of course, that's probably a political job, right? But anyway, we won't go, we won't go there. But who is the intake person for all this money, and how is it going to be doled out? And I want to make sure Tom and, and uh, Eric can talk a little bit about that. But there are a number of states that uh, put that in place, and there are billions and billions of dollars. And again, I'm not going to get into whether it's a good thing to take the federal stimulus dollars, but there is infrastructure issues. Uh, I worked on a steel project for three years for a firm that went down to Alabama. And one of the things we noticed in that project was a poor electric power grid, uh, poor infrastructure, poor roads, waterways that couldn't handle barges because there's not been enough dredging or ports that were actually couldn't take Panamax or Handymax ships. These are basic block and tackling type things that prevent us in the U.S. from receiving foreign direct investment. So where do they go? They go to Singapore or they go to Ireland or they go to Costa Rica or, yes, Eric, you can steal our jobs, they go to Canada. 
So, um, so this whole issue about infrastructure, that's the way I look at it. It's about uh, making sure that we can compete on the basics. And so maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, that, that, <laughs> that, that uh, you know, joking about, about, about stealing jobs, um, I think in many cases, and I think you'd agree we were talking about it at lunch, uh, that stealing jobs is not really between the United States and Canada. It's protecting jobs in North America that might well go someplace else, further offshore, India, La uh, Philippines, Mauritius, things like that. And I think, you know, we have to be looking at it in, 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 in that, w that sense, maybe a NAFTA way that... Um, uh, we're, we're helping to maintain North American companies and North American businesses in a, in, in a Midwest economic corridor that crosses borders. Um, when you talk about the stimulus plan, uh, I think it's interesting and uh, to put Canada in perspective. Uh, we entered the recession, uh, or Canada entered the recession uh, after the United States and in a less severe way. But um, we're very much involved in a stimulus package as well, very similar stimu stimulus package. Um, the U.S. plan represents about 5.7% of U.S. GDP. The Canadian plan is 3.2% of Canadian GDP. The interesting thing from my perspective on the, the incentive, the, the, the stimulus plan here, is it's made a business attraction even more competitive so that the competition that might have looked to Ontario because of uh, the, the workforce that's available, the lower dollar, uh, and, and, and available, well, available people and quality of people, uh, now has to look at what incentives are available in the U.S. out of the stimulus package, and then what, you know, what, can, what, what can they find in Canada. So we're targeting many of the same areas, the green technology, energy, uh, health care, uh, things like that, and it becomes a more more uh, competitive approach to attracting some of the same types of businesses. And I think that uh, how do you win those kinds of battles, whether you're a state, a local region, an area, uh, I think you have to pick the battles that you're going to fight in and, and compete and pick the areas that you compete in and make sure that you're competing in areas where you have a cluster, where you have a special expertise, where the workforce is educated to meet that kind of a need, where you have uh, healthcare professionals if you're going to be going after healthcare. Um, and, and everybody wants those dollars. And the problem is it seems to be too many of the regions are going after the same areas and claiming expertise and competence in areas where they may not have that core competence and the base capability. Yeah, no, that's, you bring up the point about workforce. What do we do right now when we've got displacement of all these major assets and industries? We've got an aging workforce. What are we going to do with this sector that's been displaced? It's a very challenging question. I think a lot of people are struggling with that whole re-education, retraining, where the funds are going to come from, what are the sources. That's, that's, that's a pervasive success factor in all these issues. And, um, Again, this gets back to public-private partnerships and how we're going to marshal those resources on a regional basis you know, and, and work with these, these, these displacements and these groups and really work hard at getting people in the right tracks. I, I don't have a lot of solutions for that, but actually what's going on is the corporations that are letting these people go obviously aren't taking responsibility necessarily all the time, but the new corporations that are coming in have an expectation 
that there will be trained talent and there'll be investment in those people so they can take those folks and put them on lines and put them in new processes. And, and again, that's partnership between the local communities right. and the businesses that they're working with. Uh, in, in Canada, again, we've, uh, we've enhanced the training programs, cooperative education through the colleges, uh, and apprenticeship training have been particular areas of, of, of focus for us right now. Uh, and then that retraining in skills is really uh, what you're talking about, the need, the, the need to take the workforce and, and orient them to the new areas of, uh, of the economy. So things have not changed relative to industry's needs. You need good talent. You need good labor. You want to be in the competitive operating cost structure. You do want to see that, that alignment, that partnership there on the public sector and the private sector side. And people want to get projects, the few that are happening, over the goal line. They want certainty and confidence that they can work with the public sector, the states, the communities, work with service providers to make sure these things are profitable and they can stand up to board level scrutiny because the scrutiny is incredible right now. Back to the issue about having very, very robust analytics and decision support for any type of investment. Even if it's just uh, you know, re-engineering an office or doing a workplace strategy, there's a tremendous amount of scrutiny on you know, what the ROI and that's going to be. And I think, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's where the partnership between the economic developer and the, 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 the people looking uh, come in so that we can help educate the companies about what programs are available, what training programs, what retention programs. Um, and it's, it's the, the ability to work and develop that relationship that's even more important in that consultative nature that, uh, that, that, that means the difference between where a company might decide to locate. We need to be able to provide quality information uh, to make those business cases robust and, 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 and uh, legitimate and credible. Right. At this point, I think it, it's probably good for us to open things up for questions. We'd like to talk about each of those topics up there, and I think we'll probably even have a, a more dynamic uh, uh, ending here if we can actually talk to you folks and what's on your mind about these topics uh, and I think we can even broaden the topics relative to broader job creation and economic development and maybe even international issues so any questions yes sir uh, hello can you hear me okay uh, I'm Marty Vonix I'm the uh, CEO of the Bloomington Normal Economic Development Council two hours south of here and uh, platinum sponsor of this chapter I want everyone to know that and if you, if you thank you I'm here all day, thanks. Um, and if you don't know me, you should. But that's not the reason I... Um, uh, one of the things that I, I want to uh, maybe and have you make a couple comments and either have you uh, comment back uh, to those who are out there working with economic developers, um, the, one of the key things that you have to do is to start early. Um, I know that sometimes your clients come to you at the last minute, and on the private side you may say, well, you need to adapt to our schedule, and you need to work out our schedule. Well, we answer to political uh, uh, entities, and, and it's sometimes very difficult for get, to get them to work fast. But the earlier you can get to us, the easier it'll be to get incentives, to work the political structures and, and, and things that we need to do. So I, I think that's, if that's yeah, your experience. I think you're, you're talking about can-do attitude, right? We never, there's, there's not, not been a more important time than to have a can-do attitude. So. Now, in the old days, I would say, leave your political process behind, just get it done. But I think that that's another change right now. It, it is a little bit more complex right now. Given the economy, we've got scarce resources. So actually, I support what you say. But if you would have said that three or four years ago, I would have totally disagreed with you. But I think you're, right, you're spot on right now. Yeah. Uh, the, the other thing I want to mention is that um, look to the communities that have their 
existing business and uh, uh, manufacturers and businesses uh, in good order, that their house is in good order, because that's the kind of communities you want to be in, not the ones that are only trying to attract. Because if they're only trying to attract, when they come in, they're going to interview your local CEOs, and the local CEOs say, well, the folks here do nothing for us. And what kind of community wants to go, what kind of company wants to go to that kind of community? And, and I, I think uh, to add to that, uh, getting involved early with the economic development folks, getting people aware of what the project could be or could mean to a region is very important because uh, the parameters of, of legislated programs may have flexibility more now than they did in the past. And if we, if we have a program with a threshold of 100 new jobs and you can only commit to 90, let us know and see if we can help you bridge that gap in some way. Uh, the, the gray areas are getting grayer right now. Uh, I'm Sharon Crone, can you hear me? Um, real Estate Executive Search. You're speaking to a, a room of uh, real estate executives, some of whom are in tr transition, and you've talked about job creation. Can you be specific in your own areas as to any opportunities that exist for people in this room or others? Uh, as a result of the stimulus or other opportunities that you see? Sure. Uh, well, of course, the, the big focus of the stimulus package is uh, the whole area of uh, sustainability and green and solar and wind. Uh, one place that you probably should be is at the wind conference here, May 4th through 7th in Chicago. I think there's going to be over 100,000 people there and scores and scores of companies uh, that are in the forefront of new technology and are right on top of this federal stimulus bill. So that's the first thing I'd like to mention to you. Uh, if you really care about this new sector and being where other people are not, correct? So, I mean, that, in this whole area of um, new technology around solar and wind, there are a number of companies that uh, don't have all the skill sets. We're, we're targeting that, that area right now, and we're finding out they don't even have real estate expertise. Uh, they don't actually know a lot about asset management. Uh, they don't know necessarily a lot about strategic planning. These are actually, a lot of these are foreign firms that are coming into the United States and they don't actually know actually how to deal with even U.S. issues. So I think there's a whole host of things in that sector uh, that you've been hearing about green, but I think that's the reality of it, is things like supply chain, about real estate financing. We have to actually have a client right now who says we can spend no more of our own capital on all our assets we put in the United States. We want to look at off-balance sheet financing. We want to look at uh, you know, different types of structuring, tax strategies. I, I think the, for that sector, there's a lot of very interesting opportunities on a grander side. On a local side, maybe Tom could talk a little bit about what he sees on, uh, on the Chicago well, I was, side. I'm just going to say uh, the, the focus on, like in the stimulus bill on, on sustainability, that sector is really getting a lot of attention right now. There's a lot of investment. There's also a lot of uh, foreign investment. In Chicago here, we have several uh, wind power companies that are headquartered here that are foreign companies um, with, their, with their North American headquarters here, and, and then a number of other operations from foreign wind power companies. And why I mentioned foreign is because that's where, the, for example, the wind power expertise is really overseas. I mean, that's one area where we really need to catch up as a country. The, the uh, Germans and Danes and others have become real experts in this uh, while we really were kind of ignoring the area. Um, and yes, the wind power conference coming up, you know, we're going to be there obviously talking to um, people and uh, dealing with companies. So the, that sector in general, um, there are some organizations locally, sort of uh, green-themed sustainability groups, uh, that it's easy to uh, get involved with. 
And uh, it is really, though, very convenient, certainly for us, to have the biggest uh, wind energy um, conference in the United States right here. Um, and the reason it's here, by the way, one reason, it was originally supposed to be in Minneapolis uh, this year, but several months ago, the wind power organizers realized Minneapolis couldn't hold it. There wasn't enough room. It was, it was just exploding so fast that there was no way, and they had to go to a major market, namely Chicago, or they had to find a major market. They didn't want to go to Vegas or, or Orlando because those were playground cities. They wanted to go to a business city, so they came here. And uh, we, we intend to try to uh, keep them around for, uh, for a while. I want to expand on it. One more time on that is back to the topic of economic development value partners. Where people are going, small and medium enterprises, they're going to their um, public-private partnerships like in Kenosha, Kaaba. They're going to neighborhood economic development groups. They go to there first with, that's where the, they go there for jobs and ideas and assistance. I would be networking with those chambers even more so than the typical channels, because that's where they go first to get assistance to create jobs. You might find out about a new enterprise, a new startup, incubator-type firms. Again, incubators and entrepreneurship. I guess that's a new value of the economic development entities, work, you know, to make sure that's where the jobs are being created or people are asking for assistance. Uh, so that's a really good question. Thank you for asking that. Next. Hi, Heather Herper. Hello, is this working? There we go. You actually just started talking about incubators, and particularly in the city of Chicago and regionally in the Midwest, what type of economic development do you think needs to occur in order to encourage a lot of startups to locate here, which we're seeing, you know, are probably the wave of the future considering the West Coast and the East Coast role, in, and the Midwest has sort of been absent in getting a lot of the startups coming. So what different types of programs and really proactive things do you see happening now or in the future? Well, there's, that's, a, that's a topic that's been, been going around for a long time. Uh, you've got various initiatives out there. You've got the Illinois Venture Capital Association that's become organized now that, that didn't exist uh, just a few years ago. Um, you have the, um, a number of other state grant programs or st state programs for financing. Uh, there's also a network of uh, tech incubators around the state, including uh, iTech up in Evanston and a few others. In addition to that, there's been uh, a, a very nice expansion at IIT. The tech park at IIT is, is, is only, a, what, two, three years old at the most, doing very, very well and actually becoming a center because of IIT's work in batteries. They're becoming a, quite a center for um, the whole uh, battery and, and, and that renewable technology. There's a company there, in fact, that's, that's doing very, very well um, that is involved in um, hybrid automobile uh, technology with, with, with batteries and the like. So there's um, a number of things going on in that area. You know, I don't know that Chicago will ever be Silicon Valley because there's all, just a whole mentality there. Um, but on the, on the other hand, um, not everybody is going to be the same. So we, we really focus on our strengths here. Midwesterners are a little more conservative with funding, but that isn't to say that I think some of the networks here with the, net, with the universities and the tech parks um, are really uh, much more advanced than they were just a few years ago. So, and that, that's an effort that just has to continue with everybody's involvement. And, and the interesting thing in that area of incubation, uh, th there's a great network of cities and, and incubators uh, working together. And so last year, the head of the, 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 the most prestigious Ontario incubator was down here working with many of those companies the organizations that you just mentioned. We have an organization called MARS. It used to be Medical and Advanced Research Sciences. Now it's just MARS because it came from, it went from being a biotech life sciences incubator to a complete environment 
for the growth of businesses in technology and life sciences. So not only are the research labs there, uh, but the, the, the VCs are in the building, the lawyers are in the building, the accountants are in the building, and the building is fascinating. It's the, it's, it, it's the, it's the edifice where penicillin was created. And right in downtown, right in the center of downtown Toronto. Um, and it's in between all the research hospitals uh, and right in the, in, in the core. That center has helped attract many, many major global corporations to Ontario for leadership in, in, in innovation and life sciences. And one of the most recent companies to announce coming to, to, to Ontario was uh, Takeda from Deerfield, nor, the North American headquarters here in Deerfield. They've just established a major operation in, in Ontario. There you a go. Lot of it stealing our jobs again. No, no, no. No, the interesting <laughs> thing is, at the same time Takeda announced moving <laughs> sales and marketing for, for Canada up there, uh, they brought their whole research in, uh, team to, from North America to Deerfield. So, uh, a little both. Just one more comment on that. Um, maybe not a popular statement, but not everything is happening in the Tier 1 cities. Marshfield, Wisconsin. Okay, like what's going on up there? One of the most advanced rural medicine clinics in the world, working with the Obama administration on rural medicine. So there's incubators and there's best practices and clusters now in the tier two and the tier three cities. The Des Moines of the world with Wells Fargo. Actually, Wells Fargo is working on spin -off, spinning off certain financial services in that area. Uh, so again, there's other issues about where that incubation is happening and what universities. So, um, you're right, it's not prevalent uh, and maybe well-known, but there are some good things going on out there if you look. Next, another question? Yes. Um, hello, I'm Aditi Sant with Bank of America. Um, question that you might not have touched on today. As you spoke about small and medium corporations and me coming from a large corporation, do you see a changing trend um, towards technology and how that's changing the workforce? in that more and more, um, I, I just um, saw a really interesting Business Week um, article and a review that spoke about 75% of our workforce actually being virtual. That means that they come and face a machine instead of a computer, yet only 25% of our incentives, whether they're economic or HR or anything else, are really catered to that, and that trend is going to continue to increase. Talk about Obama, he has a laptop, um, a Blackberry that he carries along. So are you seeing, from your perspective, it would be interesting to see if you're seeing anything um, changing in the way cities are working or location is becoming more or less important and in what areas? That's a really good question. Uh, that could, that, that's the next session for Cornet, I think. Uh, but th that, that gets back into alternative workplace strategies and, yes, technology and you know, the whole issue of uh, the way we work. Um, I want to comment on the incentive side on that. Most of the incentives are still focused on the production side, are they not? Uh, when you try to work incentives for, for you know, major high technology centers, call centers, I'll give you a good example right now. There's a very large wind and solar company who, want, who is trying to put a major R&D tech center in a western state, and they're getting zero response from this state in terms of incentives. Where this is, these are going to be all highly paid jobs. State of Michigan recently worked on a headquarters project there where this project actually did outsourcing for the automotive industry and all the jobs were roughly 50 to 70,000 per person and they were basically mathematical problem solving jobs where they did, took mapping and created analytics, heuristics, various formulas to help um, you know, place dealerships and things of that sort. Couldn't even get the attention of the state of Michigan. 
on that project. So you've identified an issue, and it's going to take a while. Uh, and you know, I don't have the solutions for that, but you've identified a, a definitely a need. Uh, th there are certainly tech corridors in place and high-tech programs, but certainly the cash is not following necessarily how the workplace is changing. And I hope it does evolve quicker. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 yeah. it's a fantastic question, yeah. and there, there's so many different ways we could talk about it. Let me take two in particular. Work at home in respect to the call center. Uh, because of voice over the internet technology, uh, distribution of workforce is, is very simple uh, as long as the broadband technology is out there. So um, the stimulus program has, uh, one of the foundations is expansion of broadband throughout the rural areas of the United States, and that will, uh, in, that will drive home agent business in the call center, contact center, customer service industry um, rapidly throughout the U.S. Canada is much more uh, wired or fibered than, than the U.S., and it's very interesting. Our incentive programs are oriented towards physical structures and don't really have a way to reach an employee working in the home as well as, as well as they could. And these are some of the things that we're looking at is how do you adapt to that? So that's one thing. Um, I'll take a call center example also and talk about training. Uh, in Canada, I mentioned the apprenticeship tax, tr tax credits, very, very generous programs to train and retrain people that originally apprenticeship was in, uh, in, in the trades. Over the last few years, we've moved more and more of the, uh, we've opened up the apprenticeship program to service industries, contact centers, network technicians, administrative people. Um, and that's, that's a big difference. Uh, and and uh, very, very welcome, by the way, that's helped build that part of the industry uh, in, 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 our, in our province. Yep. That's a big political process. Hopefully that will move very quickly soon. Other questions? Yes. There we go. There we go. Okay. Developer, project manager. All right. Rob. Bob. Bob. Yeah, you're yeah. out in the front line talking to corporations. Yes, sir. Why aren't we bringing jobs home? Are you hearing any whispers of corporate America or anything on the government side to bring these jobs back home? Is there going to be a new trend wave? Is, can you predict we're going to keep shipping stuff offshores with all due respect to our Ontario uh, brethren here? We need the jobs <laughs> to be brought back home. So what is government going to do? What are, what are corporations starting to whisper in the hallways about bringing jobs back? Well, and you see that something that yeah. a wave could start being sent around Wrigley Field. I knew that question would come up, by the way. Um, well, I, I, I work for a great organization. My, my first few months there, they sent me to the World Economic Forum in China. And there I got exposed to all the major CEOs of all the major corporations. I got to work the room, and I got to hear about this whole issue globally, you know, in foreign direct investments and who's doing what. And um, I, I would say that the whole issue of things going like this and going out is slowed down tr tremendously because over here where it's going, they're having the same structural issues that we're talking about here. So there certainly is a, a like, well, wait a second, let's look at this. And obviously there's a, the political side of this that you heard in terms of keeping our jobs home. On the same time, uh, there is this whole issue of shareholder value and I've been in plenty of meetings within the last four months where I've heard this is about reducing our structural costs, our SG&A, and we can't be competitive globally. So if a company has roughly 50% or more of their revenue globally, they're going to think globally. We can't stop that. The world is flat. But for companies that, you know, um, I think are more domestic bound and tied to consumers here, um, 
uh, and if they can't cons uh, pursue more consumers overseas, there's a bigger proclivity to be a little more careful about what we outsource, what we carve out, what we far, far shore, and there is a, tre a trend looking at nearshoring and what we call and bringing things back from China. Uh, the extended supply chain and all the risk issues associated with that. If it's not on the shelf now, you're really in trouble, right? In time. Um, there is risk overseas. There's wage inflation. You know, certain parts of India and certain countries that, uh, you know, it's, it's 8, 15, 20 percent. Nobody needs wage. And, and so you've got actually a closing of some of the, the wage gap in some of these countries. Um, so I would say that there's slowing down, and I think there's a greater interest in the boardroom to say, wait a second, before we do this, we looked at all of our options in North America. Back to the issue of just not a trend, you know, just let us do it, everybody's doing it. We've got to have better decisions, we've got to have better analytics, it's going to be more visible. And if we're definitely going to take public money, we're going to have to be cognizant of that. So I can't tell you that the world's not going to be flat and it's going to continue, but I think there's a stronger interest in the boardroom to be fair about where these jobs are going to be going for the future. Yeah. And it also just yeah. jump in really quickly to say one, one area uh, in relation to that that we kind of shoot ourselves in the foot in this country is we have a dysfunctional visa system where oh, we have a lot yeah. of people coming in, getting, coming to, for example, you know, U of C, Northwestern, so on, uh, getting PhDs, and then we tell them, okay, you've got your PhD, now you have to leave, you have to go home. Two-thirds of the PhDs in the U.S. are foreign-born, and a very disproportionate number of those people uh, in the past have gone on to start businesses, bring in new technologies, and essentially we have a system that says oh, only a handful of you can stay, the rest of you have to leave. Uh, one of the countries that benefits, guess what? Canada. Uh, Microsoft uh, you again. Uh, not to pick on Eric, but Microsoft sent, not to pick yep. on Ontario, but Microsoft has a uh, new center, uh, a center in Vancouver uh, where they do a lot of research and one of the reasons that they're there is because a lot of these PhDs that cannot stay in the U.S hop across the border then to Vancouver and work for Microsoft up there. Yeah. And so, so let, let me pick up on that, Tom. There's a, <laughs> <laughs> there's a magnificent article in, in the February 16th issue of uh, Newsweek by Fareed Zachariah, who's really one of the best commentators. And, and I'll just read half a paragraph here. The U.S. currently has a brain-dead immigration system. That's a quote. <laughs> we issue a small number of work visas and green cards turning away from our shores thousands of talented students who want to stay and work here, exactly what Tom was saying. Um, Canada, by contrast, has no limit on the number of skilled migrants who can move, out, move to the country. They can apply on their own for a skilled worker visa, which allows them to become perfectly legal permanent residents in Canada. No need for a sponsoring employer or even a job. Visas are awarded based on educational level, work experience, and age, and language abilities. That's a major, major difference between you know, our two countries. And that's, uh, that's an issue where we are able to attract companies from overseas uh, who want to bring in management, management talent, who want to bring in some of the workers they've already trained, but they can't bring them to the United States. They choose to come up. One more comment. I just got to have one more on this. I got to tell you a story. <laughs> $500 million biologics facility. This was three years ago. The company was... I don't, they're not here. Sue me, Novartis, okay? Um, Novartis says, and all these life science companies have these pipelines, and they look at where should I be putting my production capacity, my sterile fill finish, my R&D. All that's happening every day. And they came to us, and they said, you've got 20 weeks to help us figure out where we should put a $500 million biologics facility, and the world is your oyster. We want to look at 20 countries. 
uh, and it has to be about talent. And of course, on top of the talent is ease of implementation, infrastructure, uh, you know, actually the talent and the intellectual capital clusters, and then a, a, a fifth factor was the whole issue of, um, of you know, getting it over the goal line and taxation strategy. So here we are, we get through the whole globe, we actually slept on planes, and the finalists were Boston, um, Singapore, Switzerland, and Ireland. This is the reality of these projects these days. And so we go to all these places, and when we come to the U.S., we're in Boston, and we're in front of the governor and the head of economic development. Boston's pretty competitive. What, Harvard, right? MIT, top-notch talent, quality of life, great city. It met all the requirements. But we had a problem, international tax strategy. So the international tax person was there, and she said, what can you do to help us with our tax burden? Because we'd like to put these jobs here in the U.S. Well, we can help you on sales and use tax, and we can give you an R&D tax credit. Well, that'll help you on 2 or 3% of that. Yeah, but how do I do that when I have no taxes in Singapore and when my full burden in Switzerland is roughly 15%? How can you help us on federal taxes, governor of Massachusetts? And for the first time in my career, I saw a governor say, nobody's ever asked me that before. And so, with a 40% tax burden in that project, that project went to Singapore. Now, did I like that result? But that's the reality of how competitive it is. So I'm not saying politically, where we, you know, I'm not a doing McCain thing here or doing an Obama thing here, but there are things like this that we need to think about relative to certain industries and how we change our policies so we can be more attractive on the foreign direct investment side. Because with currency exchange, there's plenty of companies that want to come to the United States. And it just can't be the states attracting these jobs or the cities. The country has to be interested in competing with the world on getting these jobs. So that's just kind of a capstone, I think, response to that in a real live story that would have been roughly 500 new jobs for the United States at roughly 80 to $100,000 salaries. So, okay. Any more? Find one more question, right? Is that what we have for time? One more? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, hi, I'm Patty Gaius. I'm with Lake County Partners, Lake County, Illinois. And um, I was just curious how the site selection industry looks at Illinois and I guess in particular Metro Chicago, the good and bad points. Uh, I think I need to leave now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you want to start with that one? Stealing jobs or something? No. <laughs> well, let me say, um, as a site selector, I'm supposed to be very objective and independent. And this is about you know, helping the corporation make the right decision and creating you know, you know, an objective decision and bottom line. So when it comes to si the situations happened in Illinois the last couple of years, it's really stained our, 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 com our competitive nature. I mean, it's like I've been on projects in Illinois where it's the first thing I sit down and I get a joke about it. So I'm not going to say, I'm not, I don't want to go much farther than that, but obviously that's got to change because it's a game of inches, right? It's extremely competitive. And once you get beyond all the, the, the technical factors, it is image, and it's soft factors, and the ability to say that you're confident, and that you're knowing that that, that public sector, that government, that state's going to help you be profitable. So when you guy like, a guy like Bob Riley, who says, I'll get you to the Alabama, and when I get you to Alabama, you're going to be profitable, and I'm going to stay with you to the end. How does that compare with what other people say? So what happens at the top is very, very important in site selection, because that's typically where we start for major projects. Um, so that's, that's my response to that. Tom, you can maybe... Nice to have a governor again. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, we had, we had a governor for a time there who um, had zero interest in anything international, did, traveled not at all, 
Uh, it's important to carry the flag. I, mean, I know, you know, you, you see in the newspapers, you'll see, you know, the, oh, Mayor Daley went to Beijing or Mayor Daley went to this, and oh my gosh, he's traveling. Oh, how horrible. Well, actually, it's part of the job, yeah. as the saying goes. Yeah. Um, you, you, the governor of Georgia has been over to China innumerable times. Governors and big city mayors um, are traveling. They're trying to work the international scene. And that's one of the reasons that, for example, the mayor is out there. It's not just the Olympics, but it's, it's very important to have that face time with top elected officials. Unfortunately, we've been dealing, you know, we've been a cart with one wheel missing because uh, the governor, who in, in a lot of countries is considered, you know, your, is your top state official, has been absent. Uh, the previous governor never went anywhere uh, at all. So at least Governor uh, Quinn, when he was lieutenant governor, uh, did go to China, did go in a number of places, and has evidenced an interest on the international side. So I see that as a very hopeful sign. Um, we've also had going to have a change in the uh, leadership at the trade office. I think that's going to help us tremendously with the change in administration. So um, I'm very optimistic about get the state level getting back in the game so it isn't just Mayor Daley, but we've got a governor and we're, we're, you know, we've got other people who are out there um, carrying the flag because it's very, very important, and Bob could probably testify to that. Well, and, and it's really important, too, to have the Dave Youngs of the world, okay, who, you know, know how to run their county and understand that. And, you can, and we have regional corridors like the I-39 corridor that we're developing. So we have different types of leadership vehicles, but there's no doubt that, that a lot of that policy starts at the top. And uh, when you get to a large project, you want to go see the governor. If the governor says, I'm not interested, what do you do? See you later. That's just the reality of it. So uh, we're, uh, we're very hopeful about uh, the changes moving forward. Any other questions? Nope. I get that's it. I think we're wrapping up. Um, I'd like to thank our panel uh, very much. Uh, absolutely fabulous uh, presentation. Uh, please fill out the pink forms. Uh, either leave them on your table or deliver them back to uh, Chris Gladson and her group in the back here. Thank you all for coming. Have a great afternoon.